Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. The segment is brought to you by BizNow. Hopefully, you're on their email. Check out their website. I love what they do. Uh, great information, quick. They use humor. Uh, make sure you're checked into uh, BizNow. And uh, today, we're talking about COVID-19, uh, coronavirus, commercial real estate. It is April 16th. Everybody's curious about oh, where are we, what's going on, how do we deal with it, and what's next. So please welcome my guest, Jim Costello. He's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics. Jim, thanks for joining us, sir. Hey, thanks for having me here today. Well, Jim, it's always interesting to uh, talk to you guys. You do such a great job of, of, of tracking uh, the market. Uh, um, and overall, what do you see for transactions? Are things still closing? You know, there are things that are closing, uh, but, you know, the pace of that activity is really falling off. We're just getting ready to publish our first quarter information, and it seems that in every month of the year, activity was getting lower and lower than the previous month. And even in March, you know, there was some deal activity, but most of it seems to be stuff that closed early in the month. Interesting. And let's go... Uh Talk about some of the sectors uh, as we move along here. And it seems like, I guess, the worst is hit is uh, hospitality. What do you guys see there? Yeah, the hospitality sector was facing trouble even before we hit the COVID crisis. Prices were already falling early in the year because of outside factors. You had the competition growing from the likes of Airbnb. Uh, combine that with uh, extra supply that was underway it's a lot of new hotels that were under construction. You have a lot of new hotel brands and a lot of competition for space. Uh, combine all that, and you already had some signs of weakness in the market with defaults on loans in key locations like in Times Square in New York. All that was combining to lead to price declines early in the year. And now this COVID crisis hitting it, it's kicking a man when he's down. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, we, we don't have the full data on uh, the price impacts yet. It takes a while for that price discovery to happen but I expect the hotel sectors could be going through a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it has to, what about retail? I guess that's the next one hit. Uh, what, what do you guys see out there related to retail today? Yeah. The retail sector is another one that in the middle of this crisis, there's a lot of hand wringing over. And, and although that said, there are great pieces of retail property. Uh, you look at the retail, uh, uh, the, the personal consumption data that came out yesterday, the retail sales data. Uh, and, and you had declines in sales uh, across a number of different categories. All the discretionary stuff like automobiles, clothing, you know, all that was down and down at tremendous rates. People are not spending anymore. But they are spending on day-to-day uh, -day necessities. Uh, we've all seen the people stocking up on toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> Uh, grocery stores and drug stores, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, is doing okay. You know, there's still that ongoing demand and there always will be, you know, people need to get food. People need those uh, toiletries. And even if you're ordering online, you're getting your stuff from an Instacart, uh, for instance, it, there's still a need for that local retail, uh, which becomes less of a, a point of purchase for the individual and more of a warehouse for the pickers. And so uh, either way, those facilities are still doing okay from an economic perspective. And it seems that the investors are still interested in them. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting. At our shop, we sell shopping centers. Um, uh, one group does that, and we have another group that focuses on single-tenant and that lease. And it seems like the shopping centers deals are, are pausing, but the single-tenant and that lease properties uh, are still moving uh, really well. What do you see for retail property trades in your numbers? Uh, it's down. And it's uh, clearly uh, something where, you know, the, the retail sector in total is down. Uh, you know, the optimism is just not there at the moment. And it's been falling faster uh, than, than uh, yeah, in previous periods. Uh, you know, it's just there's so much uncertainty. It's hard to bring buyers and sellers together uh, when nobody knows what's going to be happening in the, the next uh, three to six months. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see a lot of these, uh, if some of these tenants come back, you know, maybe not all the restaurants will open back up and and maybe some of these uh, smaller retail tenants don't get financial help fast enough, maybe some of them won't come back. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with some of these retail properties uh, if they, you know, we get more change in use um, and, you know, zoning municipalities looking for jobs and looking for revenue are a little more flexible on, you know, mixed use development and things. That should be interesting what happens with retail properies. Well, Jim, let's jump to That's an interesting point you're bringing up. And I think that may be one silver lining in the crisis. In a crisis period, you have more of a tendency for people to accept that, okay, things have changed. We need to move forward. There have been well-positioned retail properties that just no longer work as a retail property yet developers cannot go in and reposition them to higher and better uses to other property types because of local governments thinking that, well, it should be a mall. We want the tax revenue from a mall, but they don't understand that that market has gone away. Uh, This might finally start to clear that. And in the crisis, provide an opportunity for people to come in with real estate solutions to build something that the economy really needs. Yeah, good, good point. And, and Jim, let's look at the office sector for a second. I mean, you guys are tracking the trades, you know, all over the country and in some places all over the world. And and, and as you study uh, office use trends and what's going on, you know, what would you tell us about office right now? Like everything else, it's paused. You know, there's, again, this uncertainty, what happens next. And people are, are trying to come to grips with you know, when we do go back, and we get some sort of all clear, what will it look like and how will the use of space change? Uh, there's a tendency in these periods for people to take you know, the current situation and extend it out over uh, you know, a, a very long period, thinking that you know, one little change today means that it's this way forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, examples in the past, you know, during the uh, during the internet boom, I heard people saying that, oh, there's only need for suburban space moving forward. Nobody's ever going to want CBD space again because it's all tech firms now and they're in the suburbs. Uh, in uh, the early part of the last recovery, you know, when millennials were moving into the city, everybody was saying that, oh, only urban areas for, for, for now on, suburbs are dead. You know, nobody ever wants to live in a suburb again. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we get this, this disease issue, and it seems that you know, density does have something to do with the transmission in the United States at least. Uh, and there's this thought that you know, from some folks saying, oh, never invest in cities again because you know, we're always gonna have these kind of troubles. Uh, so you know, only go to the suburbs. And I think that's kind of uh, short-sighted uh, for a couple of reasons. One, again, 
this this issue of whatever's happening in the current period, don't assume it's going to continue and impact your investments over a 10, 20 year horizon. There's little bumps along the road and you can't make every long-term decision on the current bumps. Second thing is that, you know, there are some under, underlying moves towards the suburbs right now anyway. You know, the millennials were getting to a point where, you know, they're pairing up, having kids at that age, you know, you got to get to the suburbs because you want a yard so that uh, mom and dad don't go crazy with the kids in a little two bedroom apartment. Uh, so th there were already, you know, some moves underway where the labor force was looking more towards suburban locations. So it's kind of natural that you'd see a suburban pickup. So, you know, don't assume that just if, if we do see, you know, suburban pickup, it's not because of COVID necessarily. I think it's also a function of just the demographics are already supporting that. And yeah. the third thing is, you know, the, 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 the thought that density is, is killer, and, you know, a city like New York can never live again. I mean, that's just silly in the sense of uh, other denser cities have dealt with COVID quite well. Look at Seoul, Korea. You know, they've, they've really locked that down. It's not a density issue. It's a, it's a public health and a, a public cohesiveness issue. It's the kind of thing to fight this. We all need to pull together. And in, in some of the cities in the U.S., we've seen a better behavior on that. You know, look at Seattle. Everybody locked down early, was uh, very well behaved and did their part here in New York. I look out my window and I see, uh, you know, folks riding dirt bikes down the, down the sidewalks. It's, uh, uh, we've just had a more chaotic response from the citizenry here. Yeah, and it seems like uh, in the office sector and maybe others, uh, maybe a push to suburban is really to, to save money as companies are going to be really looking for ways to, to save money. But uh, Jim, in particular, you I mean, you're right there. In, in the city, uh, in New York City, uh, around everyone there, um, what is kind of the consensus feeling that that uh, people are saying uh, and thinking about uh, you know living in the city in in the future? Is it kind of a some of them a short time? Or some of them saying that they'll they're going to move to the suburbs and never come back to the city, uh, and then you expect them to change their mind uh, in six months. Yeah, I think they would have to change their minds in six months because the, the issue with being in the city is that, you know, there's a human interaction. I mean, that's what's so horrible about this disease because it gets rid of, it puts one of our greatest strengths as a weakness, our, our greatest strengths as, as an industry, as a race you know, of, of humanity, just talking to people, you know, just a sharing of ideas. The informal stuff of, of visiting with a client quickly for a coffee or a drink after work, that one-on-one -on -one stuff is so valuable, and you know, it, it, so it puts all that at risk. Uh, you know, that we've dealt with these issues before in the economic literature. There's stories going back to the, the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages of people then saying, "Oh, cities are dead. You know, people can't congregate." Uh, and that always happens. The cholera epidemics of the 1800s, those had an, uh, an impact on cities. There's a reason that street grids are straight. Uh, you go back to ancient cities, they weren't straight, but we started doing those straight street grids in the 1800s because to deal with cholera, uh, we built sewers. And to build the sewers, given the technology at the time, everything had to be straight. Uh, so yeah, we adapt. Cities change to adapt to the risks we face. And uh, this one will be the same. There's gonna be some short-term adaptations, Everybody's going to be wearing a mask. My tailor yeah. in Brooklyn is now uh, making masks uh, since they're not making suits. So uh, I can get you a deal on that if you need. But the, uh, 
you know, but little things like that, you know, we're going to be doing that for a while. Uh, um, and, you know, going to the office, wearing masks and interacting in slightly different ways will be a little less dense for a while. And the cities will be a little less rich in that sense with less human inter interaction. But, you know, we will get through it. And, and once we get back to a point where the disease is under control, we will be able to uh, go back to some sort of normal. The question is, you know, how many years is that going to take? And but the value of people interacting on a one-on-one -on -one basis, Zoom is great. You know, all these webinars are fantastic, uh, but you know, there's there's still something that uh, uh, just the uh, you know the seeing someone in person that uh, just can't be beat. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I can't uh, I can't stand it, and I'm working probably twelve hours a day uh, at my home. Uh, but I really, really miss being out and seeing people and and visiting properties and, and seeing my brokers and clients, it's, uh, uh, you know, we're all, we're, we're social animals, right? So, right. so Jim, the, the feeling you have at the moment, we're talking with Jim Costello with Real Capital Analytics about uh, where we are now, April 16th, and uh, what, what he expects moving forward. So on office demand moving forward and, and trends, rental rates and, and, and values, your expectation today? Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, we're going to see some price declines. You know, it is the case that the market is thinning in terms of the number of unique buyers. In a typical month uh, in the United States across all property types, we might see 2,000 uh, or so unique buyers every month. Uh, looks like that in March we had only 790 unique buyers of properties. Uh, and, and so if you have fewer uh, uh, buyers, unique buyers out there. It means that anytime somebody has to sell a property for whatever reason, there's just a, a smaller pool of potential bidders. And if you know you have a smaller pool of potential bidders, you know you're not going to get the pricing that you wanted. It won't be as competitive a bidding process. So that functional element, I think, is going to help to push prices down. And I mean, another sign is that uh, we started to see a number of deals that were in contract. Uh, ready to close, and then uh, the the deal busted up. You know, for whatever reason, you know, the they they broke it up, and that's the case of you know a a buyer, uh, you know, having a set of expectations in place, you know, making a commitment, you know, having some money uh, down, and walking away from it all because you know the assumptions that they had that made that deal work, they've already seen the conditions have changed. Uh, to make that deal work now is going to take uh, you know some sort of price discount. Hasn't shown up in the actual pricing figures yet because uh, you know the the owners don't feel like they have to sell yet. So the first casualty in all this is going to be deal volume, and uh, that's down dramatically in the first quarter. Yeah, well, it makes sense. I'll ask you quickly about two other sectors uh, and what you think about them uh, as of today. Uh, let's start with uh, multifamily. It seems like the collections, at least so far these um, uh, communities have had, it's, it's been pretty impressive. Um, does that change? What do you think about multifamily moving forward? Yeah, you know, the, the collections so far have been okay. You know, the question is how much longer can they be okay? You know, if we go a number of months where everybody's, uh, uh, you know, locked up, it's not going to be uh, feasible for a lot of households to continue to pay their rent. So, you know, the longer we go, the more that figure should decline. Uh, on the apartment sector in general, uh, I've seen a lot of optimism about the sector uh, from investors. There was a, a survey uh, that Priya did of, of members 
uh, PRIA is a trade organization, Pension Real Estate Association. It's a lot of the institutional real estate investors. And so in terms of what they want uh, in real estate investing into uh, you know, this new period, of, you know, given the impacts from COVID. And the, the two favorite sectors were the industrial sector and apartments. I'm a little skeptical of some of the arguments that people are making in favor of apartments. Now, there are people saying that, well, apartments did well last time. They did well in the last recession, so it'll do okay in this recession too. And I think that's a short-sighted attitude. Uh, it did so great in the last recession because we had a backdoor demand for apartment renters. We had all these homeowners who realistically never should have been homeowners. You know, they were given a, a subprime loan. Uh, I mean, there were cases where people were able to get a loan to buy a house when they didn't qualify on a credit analysis to rent an apartment. So that, well, that was a problem. But in any case, as those homeowners left, it boosted apartment demand. Uh, you know, this time through, it, you just don't have that protection. When you have so many workers thrown out of a job, uh, you know, I think there are more risks to the apartment sector today than there were in the last downturn. So I think people are being a little bit optimistic about uh, apartments there. Uh, the industrial sector, though, that one uh, was on everybody's uh, favorite list. And you know, it, it's clear why, even before the downturn, it was clear that there was more online shopping. And now uh, that's a key issue, a key mechanism that people are using to, uh, to get by. And you know, there's uh, tremendous needs uh, for additional deliveries and tremendous need for uh, industrial space to satisfy uh, all the consumer demand. So that's one that I think uh, has some legs and staying power. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you know these short-term things that people are experiencing things don't don't last forever. You talked about the kind of the challenges and and volume right now, and uh, the obvious challenge of figuring out how to underwrite anything. When you look back at after the uh, recession of '08, and you look at people, uh, companies who bought properties and how much they appreciated uh, over that long nice span of, of uh, time we had there. Um, might the next two years be a similar situation if there's less new supply because of lending constraints, um, less financing available uh, for buyers? Um, it, might this be a, a couple of years of good times for people to acquire who, uh, who can? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really dependent, you know, on uh, how deep we go. Yeah. You know, if the expectation from a number of folks is that we're going to see a massive drop in GDP for the second quarter, uh, you know, a Wall Street Journal survey of economists uh, done uh, uh, earlier in the month shows an expectation of a 25% decline in GDP for the, for the second quarter. You know, the, the challenge in terms of translating that through to changes in prices comes through to you know, how many building owners are going to be capital constrained through this. You know, how many cases will there be of an owner who has a loan coming due and they can't refinance because of tenants going belly up or some sort of outside income situation? How many distress situations will there be? We know there will be some distress situations, just not clear how many. Uh, the rise in distress is important because when you have more distress, uh, then you have sellers willing to sell at more of a discount uh, and or you know, being forced to sell at more of a discount. 
and you know that that brings market pricing down. Uh, to the extent market pricing goes down, the further down it goes, the more room there is for it to bounce back, and that's where the best opportunities will come. Uh, now, yeah. that's I do think there are going to be tremendous opportunities out there for folks who come in and uh, you know help with uh, some of the solutions on this. I mean, uh, rather than think about it as uh, uh, you know here's stuff that's being uh, sold on the cheap. Uh, you know, clearly there are going to be needs uh, for folks who do get caught in uh, 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 the crosshairs of, of the crisis. And rather than thinking about it as, uh, uh, you know, an opportunity to kind of pick up something on the cheap, you know, there's also opportunities in coming in and being sort of a rescue capital and helping someone uh, as an equity partner or uh, redeveloping something to finally, you know, the crisis opens up the eyes of, uh, uh, local government officials and allows people to redevelop properties to a better use. Yeah. And when you think about the cycles uh, and you compare this one, uh, I guess the beginning here of a, of a down cycle, and you compare it back to 208, um, and you think about the recovery and acquisition opportunities, values, how does these really low interest rates that we have now um, that are significantly lower than coming out of that last downturn. How might that adjust opportunities in, in, in the market in general? Yeah, low interest rates are tricky because you see it and you think, hmm, if the 10-year treasury is so low, below 1%, you think that cap rates should be low as well. Uh, and you know, that survey of economists that the Wall Street Journal did, you know, even on the upside, you know, where people are a little bit more optimistic for growth in the future, they don't see it getting above 3% before uh, 2023. Uh, and 3% in the long cycle of things, even that's low. Uh, so on, on that hand, you know, sort of the interest rate environment, you know, that might normally provide a bit of a cushion in terms of keeping cap rates low. The other thing that goes into forming cap rate decisions though is sort of how risk averse are people. While the interest rate environment is low, Another thing out there is showing that people are a little risk averse at the moment. If you look at corporate bond rates, that's a good proxy, I think, for, for cap rates at times because corporate bond rates, you know, sort of the B grade uh, corporate bonds, uh, you know, that's tied to expectations of the riskiness of the cash flows of companies, which in the end are tenants, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there should be some parallel there towards the uh, cash flow from buildings which in the, in the end are cash flow from those same corporations. Uh, in any case, those spreads have gone up dramatically. Uh, they're, they're not at the high levels seen during the financial crisis, uh, but they're, it's in a number two position relative to all historical trends. Uh, so that spread increasing to me says that we should see an increase in spread between the 10-year treasury and cap rates. So, uh, you know, it, it could be a situation where for a while cap rates go up, even with this low interest rate environment. Uh, that said, once things start to stabilize in the economy and we see some positive signals, that spread will uh, attract capital into the sector. People will look at that and say, hmm, I need to put my money to work someplace. Here's a core asset. It's relatively safe. And, you know, look at this cap rate and cap rate spread. I can't do better in any other asset class. And I think we'll see some activity there at first. Sort of a, a flight to quality will happen. And you'll see some early transactions and that stuff, particularly in the industrial sector. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and also you'll see 
you'll be able to see the performance of the property through COVID, right? You can see, you can look at how it performed before, during, and after COVID, and see, hey, what's what's the downside uh, risk of, of this property? Right, right. I, I know I've had my company 22 years, and some people are really familiar with the commercial real estate market, you know, like you are, would say, oh, so you made it through 08 and 09? Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> so, uh, making it through 08, 09, uh, making it through uh, the internet bust, you know, the 97 Russian bond crisis, you know, yeah. that the uh, uh, one crisis isn't the, the market success. It's uh, living through a number of crises. So yeah. now you have another one under your belt, it looks like. Yeah, well, I got to get through it first. <laughs> so, so Jim, to, to, before you go, um, as, you, as you mentioned, as things start showing signs of, of people getting back to work, a, a recovery going on, uh, people start looking potentially for com- more commercial real estate investments. How does the U.S. look compared to the rest of the world to investors? You know, what's interesting is the rest of the world doesn't see deal activity falling off nearly as sharply as the United States. Uh, there's a couple reasons for that, I think. You know, if you look at uh, what's happening in China, for instance, the decision to underwrite an acquisition is always a little bit different in China anyway. It's not the same sort of market where, you know, someone is making an independent judgment on sort of how fast a city is going to grow and what type of income growth they should expect. Uh, there's you know, a little bit of uh, uh, massaging of, of expectations in that country with uh, the government telling folks that, okay, this city's going to grow X percent, that city will grow Y percent. And, you know, that provides a little bit of guidance. Uh, here, uh, you know, we don't have that. Uh, who, who knows which city is going to grow great coming out of this? You know, you don't have that level of support uh, and, and uh, guidance in that sense. Uh, Europe is another example. Uh, you know, look at uh, uh, an analyst I'm working with in Amsterdam, you know, there, you know, everything's pretty easy. You know, the, the, the government stepped in right away, provided everybody with uh, uh, support, every household with support. So consumers aren't pulling back. They're still doing their thing. I mean, they're limited, you know, they're at home, they're being socially isolated uh, in a very Dutch way where nobody told them to do it. They were just very responsible and did it on their own anyway, because they knew they had to. Uh, but with that consumer protected, uh, you know, the, the shocks, to the economy are not as bad. You don't have the same kind of economic calamity they have in the United States with, you know, tens of millions thrown out of work and with, uh, you know, millions now with no health care. Uh, there, everybody's pretty secure. And so you know, investors are still doing deals because it's easier to underwrite what the future will look like because there's fewer uncertainties. Uh, the United States you know, uh, with so many people thrown out of work, with so much consumption at risk, it's hard to make any decisions about the next uh, six months because nobody knows what that will look like. So, you know, you combine all that, and I think that's a big factor driving a sharper decline in deal activity here in the United States compared to Europe and Asia. Yeah, and here we are, April 16th, and, uh, you know, with almost, seems like uh, 90% businesses seem to be shut down around the country. And, and you're right, and and maybe we'll look back uh, in four weeks and uh, and and have a lot more certainty and know what's going on. It will be interesting. Well, Jim, uh, speak of interesting, always interesting to talk to you. Thanks for uh, being on the show today. Thanks for having me, and uh, stay safe. Yeah, you too. 
Um, and everyone out there, uh, stay safe. And, and look, we're going to be doing more shows uh, more often, uh, audio only, so we can bring you more content day to day. Things are changing so fast. You know, make sure that you don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe wherever you're getting this show uh, set up for notifications. Uh, please, we ask you to share the show with, with others. Let's all help each other get through this, get to the other side. Um, if you appreciate the show, think about our sponsors. See if you can uh, refer business to them or think about doing business with them uh, so we can keep bringing you this show. Uh, connect with us on your social media, uh, favorite social media. Tell us what you think. Uh, about these topics and what topics you would like us to cover. So, too, will you see you at our next show? Be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.